And so we're going to pick up where we left off, 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 8. Now remember what we've already looked at. We've looked and saw from the middle of chapter 2 to the middle of chapter 3. We've seen this truth about submission. What is submission? We saw in chapter 2, servants are submissive to their masters, i.e. employees to employers. We've seen that we're to be submissive to the authorities over us. We saw the example of submission in the Lord Jesus. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. Why? Because he trusted the will of God for his life, which was the cross. And he rested in the will of God. Therefore, he never responded when he was reviled. Then we saw in chapter 3, wives be submissive unto your husbands. Husbands be submissive unto the will of God for you as a husband. Now we're going to pick up in verse 8. And he now concludes this, this thought on submissiveness. And what he does here, beginning in verse 8, is he begins to give you exactly if you have a submissive heart or a submissive spirit, what it's going to look like lived out in this world. So let's look at this together. Finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one for, of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but counterwise blessing, knowing that you were thereunto called, that you would inherit a blessing, for he that will love life and see good days, let him from, reframe his tongue from evil and his lips that speak no guile. Let him askew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and the ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Boy, what an amazing passage. Father, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this morning. Glorify yourself in what you say and how you say it. And we'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. So what does it look like to have a submissive spirit? What does it look like when someone is walking in submission? Now, as I said to you as we've been going through this, let me repeat it real quick. I believe submission is the truest evidence of a true child of God. I don't believe a, true per a person can truly be saved and not have a heart of surrender and submission unto the Lord. Now, I understand we're not going to be sinless perfect, and I understand there are going to be moments that all of us get in the flesh. But folks, listen to me. I believe there is an inward desire from the Holy Spirit of God and every born-again child of God to be submissive to the Word of God. And, and being submissive to the Word of God, we're submissive in these areas. So what is this, this idea of a submissive spirit or a submissive heart? What does it look like lived out? Well, I want you to look at this with me in verse number 8. He uses this word finally, summing all this up. He says, now, finally be you all of one mind. So I want us to look first at the character of a submissive spirit. And you say, what do you mean a character? What, what does it really look like as it's lived out in and through your lives? And he's going to give you a list of things here. And I'm just going to kind of tie these together for you this way. The first thing he deals with is the continuity of spirit. 
And you say, what do you mean? Well, he says, be ye all of one mind. This is a Greek word, and it's a compound word that means think the same, or same in thinking. Now you say, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you a question today. How can people that have this many people be of one mind? Well, it's simply this. If I'm submitted to the truth and you're submitted to the truth, are we not submitted to the same thing? So if we're submitted to the same thing and I'm submitted to the truth and you're submitted to the truth, guess what? You and I are going to be on the same page, the same way of thinking, and you and I are going to be in harmony with each other. There is no other basis, according to the Word of God, of unity. Unity is solely based upon truth. So if, if I believe right, you believe right, what? Then we have a basis whereby we have the same way of thinking and we now can be in harmony with each other. What if I told you this was the thing that Jesus prayed for the church before he went to the cross? You say, where is that? It's found in John 17. Listen to what it says here in John 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, talking about his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Let me ask you a question today. If you're saved today, is that true of you? All right, so therefore you're a part of the church. Now watch what he says. That they all may be one, how? In what measure are we to be one with each other? As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Are you really telling this? I mean, listen, here's what Jesus said. Our, our unit, our continuity of spirit ought to be as such that it mimics the relationship between the Son and the Father. And you say we can have that kind of harmony? Absolutely. Because when I'm submissive, you're submissive, we're submissive to the same truth. Look what Jesus went on to say. He said this, And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as, in the exact same way, we are one. I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect or mature in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me and hast loved me. Let me ask you a question today. If you ask the common world out there, what first thing you think about when you think about a local church? I guarantee it's not unity. Most people say they, they don't go to church because they've already been. Now, I'm glad we don't have these problems here at Liberty. Y'all say amen. But I'm just telling you, folks, most churches are known for their fighting. Most churches are known for their cliques. Let me tell you something. When you're of the same mind, here's what's going to happen. It don't matter who and it don't matter when, you're going to treat everybody the same. You're going to speak to everybody the same. In other words, you're not going to have your favorite. You say, well, there's some people I just don't like. Get over it. Amen? Get over it. You better be glad Jesus didn't take that take towards you and me. This is what he's saying here. To have a submissive spirit is a continuity of spirit. But notice, secondly, it's a compassionate spirit. Watch what he says here in 1 Peter. He says, having one mind, having compassion one of another. Now, what's this word compassion mean? Here's what it means. It means to have the same feeling. Now, you say, wait a minute. So I'm to have the same way of thinking and the same feeling? So what does it look like threshed out? Here's what it looks like. If one of us hurt, we all hurt. If one of us rejoice, we all rejoice. In other words, 
You and I are part of a family. The family of God, and yes, of the local body. But as a family, guess what? When one hurts, we all hurt. You wives or you husbands, let me ask you a question today. When your wife is out of sorts, are you out of sorts? Absolutely. And vice versa. In other words, when one is out of sorts, the other is out of sorts. And I know how it goes sometimes. Sometimes one of us are out of sorts, and one of us will say to the other one, what's wrong? Nothing. I know how it goes. But you know. And because you know, you're out of sorts. When we have a submissive spirit, we're yielded to the same truth, we're of the same way of thinking, and therefore we're of the same way of thinking, we're of the same way of feeling. We hurt when others hurt, and we rejoice when others rejoice. See, this is what a submissive spirit looks like lived out. But notice he gives you another thing, a caring spirit. Watch what he says here in verse 8. Love as brethren be pitiful. Now, what's this word pitiful mean? It means tender-hearted. Now, the word here is unique. As you know, most of the time when the word love is used concerning the church, it's agape. It means God's love. But here he uses the word phileo. It's brotherly love. So, in other words, what he's saying is that if we're of the same mind, if we're of the same feeling, then guess what? We ought to care for each other. We ought to be tender-hearted towards each other. And you say, preacher, I don't understand. How can that work? It's simply this. You know somebody has a need. You ought to be the first one to ask the Lord, am I that provision? Now, I want you to listen. You don't give because you're supposed to. You give out of revelation. It's God initiates and God moves. But listen, here's the reality. If I'm not tender-hearted, then I'm not going to be open to God using me to help somebody else who's in need. You see, there's an aspect here that as I am submissive to the Lord, I'm also going to be submissive to the person of the Holy Spirit. And as I'm submissive to the person of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be sensitive to his prompting, his leading, and his guiding in my life. And when I am, guess what? I'm going to be open to whatever God says and whatever and however God wants to use me. And so we have to be of a, of a heart that we are open to what God says. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, a new commandment I give unto you. And you say, why is it a new commandment? He said that you love one another. And you look and you say, wait a minute, Jesus, that's not a new commandment. That's a commandment that the Jews quoted every day from Deuteronomy 6. Oh, but it's a new commandment. Why? Because they would quote it from Deuteronomy 6, but they had no power to live it out. You can only love with his love because his love was shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Romans 5, when God saved you, he gave you his spirit, he gave you his life, therefore he gave you his love. And so it was impossible for Israel to live it. You see, he defines what this love looks like. He said, in the same way I loved you, that's how you're to love others. You say, well, what if I don't like them? I'm going to say it again, get over it. Because here's the reality. How many of you agree today, if Jesus Christ, who knew everything about us before we ever was, he was willing to come, take 
the form of man, die on a cross, endure the absolute anger of mankind, and, in, and be allowed to the sin of the world, the sin of you and mine, be placed upon him. And he knew everything about you, and he knew that you and I were going to be the recipients of this work of grace. Aren't you glad today that he never had favor? I mean, it's amazing. Now, but watch what he goes on to say. He said, A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by what? This love. Now, in John 17, he says, by this oneness, by this unity, the world will know. Here, he says, by this love, all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I have people all the time tell me, say, well, I just don't like people. Well, when you get saved, you will. Because you can't help yourself. You say, why? Because Jesus does. All right, so let me ask you a question today. If you're saved, does Jesus live in you? All right, so if Jesus lives in you, is his life lived through you? So how can you not like who Jesus likes? Are y'all with me? Say amen. I mean, listen, it's just plain. It's not complicated. And so he says, listen, this submissive spirit, it's lived out, and all the world will know that you belong to him. How many agree this world wants to see what's real? And that's all this world wants to say. What is real? Well, let me show you lastly a courteous spirit. He says, be courteous. Now, the word here is a Greek word that means humble-minded. Now, you say, what do you mean humble-minded? How many agree you're not going to be continuously courteous to everyone you come in contact with? If self is the rule. In your life. You can put it another way. This truth will never be lived out if the cross is not moment by moment daily appropriated in your life. To be humbly minded is this. God is rooting self, self-thinking, out of you. How many times do you serve on the basis of well, if I feel like it or if I can't. See, most of the time we serve and most of the time we conduct ministry and most of the time that we respond to others on the basis of self. Well, I didn't like the way they said it. So I'm going to respond in kind. Self. Are y'all hearing me? How many of y'all ever got offended by somebody? All right, some of y'all lying. How many of y'all ever got offended by somebody? Okay. How'd you respond? The basis of how you responded is the basis of how much self lives through you. This is the truth. And so be courteous. In other words, be humble-minded. Be empty of self. But let me show you, secondly, the control of a submissive spirit. He gets to verse bottom of verse 8, or the beginning of verse 9, and he says, not rendering evil for evil. 
In other words, when you have a submissive spirit, here's what's going to be reality in your life. The Spirit of God's going to have control over every aspect of your life. And here's what it's going to look like. Your ways will be spirit-controlled. Not rendering evil for evil. Now, why did, why did Peter write this to these believers? Because they were being greatly persecuted. And not only were they being greatly persecuted, they were having difficulty in their response to that persecution. So he's writing to these that are being greatly persecuted, and here's what he says. Don't render evil for evil. In other words, if somebody treats you harshly, what am I not to do? Reciprocate in kind. You say, well, I got news for you, Pastor. I've got rights. I'll let them know what I think. No, not if you're submissive. Now, I know this rubs against our culture, and I know this rubs against what a lot of people think. But you go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. You go back and read the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew. You'll find out that Jesus said, if they take it out of your right hand, you're to give it to them out of your what? Well, it's mine. I'll defend it. Really? Is it really yours? I thought everything that we had belongs to him. I thought every gift could come from above. I thought we were just stewards, and he's the divine owner. Y'all still love me. I mean, I'm just telling you, folks. I mean, we've got, we got a mindset that we need to understand from a submissive spirit. We're never to render evil for evil. And so here's the way it reads in the Greek. It's, it's a present tense, which means this. Don't ever, ever, ever. If you are, stop. If you're not, don't start. It's a principle that he gives us here. Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be children of the highest, for in kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. So how do I treat them? The same, one, same way that I treat the ones that do good to me. But see, we think if someone treats me wrongly, not to treat them like I would treat my best friend. I got news for you. That's contrary to what the word teaches. You say, well, preacher, I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not there. Well, listen, are you willing to let God get you there? See, that's the thing. This is what a submissive spirit looks like. All right, now, he says, don't unkind um, unthankful to the evil but therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. in other words you see how every time he connects it back to himself the same way i was one with my father you're to be one with others in the same way uh, i loved you you're to love others in the same way god showed you mercy you're to show others mercy the preacher i have rights I can stand up for my rights. No, you gave those up when God saved you. What? No, you're not. Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost, and you're not your, you're bought with a price. So if you're not your own, what rights do you have? In other words, everything that you are belongs to him. 
not just what you have, who you are. And how many of you agree today? He paid a handsome price. Here's the rights you have. You have privileges of grace. That's the Christian life. And so he, 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 he tells us here, he says, don't rendering evil for evil. Now, not only, not only will your ways be spirit-controlled, your words will be spirit-controlled. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand, okay? But I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all sometimes have trouble when you're pressed how you speak? Y'all say amen. Well, can I tell you, when it's the Mr. Spirit, your words will be controlled by the Spirit. Watch what he says. He says here in verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. In other words, when you're being railed upon, when you are being abused verbally, you don't render back in the same way. Now, go down with me a little bit. Go to verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him frame his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. We all get in the flesh from time to time. It's not a matter of, am I going to get in the flesh from time to time? But what I'm saying is, the mood we're in will determine who's in control of our life. And, and I'll promise you, you can't control your tongue. But notice thirdly, your witness will be spirit-controlled. Look at, look, at look at the bottom of verse 9. Not rendering evil from evil or railing for railing, but counterwise blessing. Now, wait a minute, preacher. You are going too far with this. I can understand that I don't need somebody railing on me. I understand that I ought to just take it and walk away and don't say anything. But you're saying that I ought to bless them? No, I didn't say that. God said that. Look at it with me. Go down to verse 11. Your witness. Let him eschew evil. The word eschew means to violently turn away from and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. The, the words here means to, to not only pursue peace, but aggressively, intensively pursue peace. We need to preach the truth. And we need to tell the truth. But we've got to be sensitive when, how, and where. In other words, you don't ever, ever, ever compromise the truth. And I agree. There are people today that are preaching, but they're not preaching the word. They're pre they're, listen, they're preaching positive thinking. They're preaching trying to make people feel good. As, as the Bible says in the last days, people would rather have their ears tickled. And they're caving into that stuff. But at the same time, you have to be discerning. How do I say what I need to say? When do I say what I need to say? And only the Spirit of God can control your words and control your tongue. I promise you, if you try to do it yourself, you're practicing the exercise of management. I mean, it's reality. All right, look at the last thing, thirdly, the consequences of a submissive spirit. Look at the bottom verse 9. That they should inherit a blessing. So now let's put it together. 
not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary blessing, knowing thereunto you are called. This is what God called you to do. And when it's true, that you should conditional inherit a blessing. So when I respond harshly, when I've received harshly, guess what I just did? See, we think that we set the other person in their place. But in reality, here's what happened. You just cheated yourself of something God wanted to do in you or for you. You say, well, what is the blessing? Well, let me show it to you. This is the promise of submission. This passage from verses nine or verse 10 through verse 12 is a quotation from Psalm 34, verse 12 through 16. Now, notice what he says. There's peace from submission. There's the promise, you'll inherit a blessing. But there's peace, this is the blessing. And you say, what is it? Well, watch what it says here. Verse 10, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue. Now, what is that word? What does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn back with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, where it's quoted from, it gives us commentary on it. Psalm 34, and look at verse 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? All right, so I'm going to stop right there. How many of you would love if God just gave you a lot more days? Oh, come on. All right, let me ask the reverse. How many of you want to die today? Nobody going to raise their hand. How many of you would love if God gave you many more days? How many of you would love if those days were good days? Peaceful. Fruitful. Had the favor of God. That's what the psalmist is saying. And Peter's quoting this psalm. He's asking a rhetorical question. How many of you would love days? Like, duh. How many of you would like those days to be good? Like, duh. Well, watch what he says in Psalm 34. He says, what man is he that desireth life, loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So it's quoted in Psalm. It's quoted here. So what are you saying? I'm saying there's peace and submission. When the Spirit of God has control of your ways, your words, and your witness, then here's what happens. The favor of God begins to rest upon you. How many agree Joseph in Genesis? If anybody had a right to complain, it was Joseph in Genesis. I mean, he was sold in slavery, thrown in a pit, sold in slavery, accused by Potiphar's wife. But everywhere he ended up, 
Did Joseph have contentment about him? What did God do? Well, he was thrown in prison, so he was made the keeper of the prison. He was brought to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh made him second in charge. Gave him the most fertile land of Pharaoh's land. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you like some of these guys on television and say that if you are, are submissive, God will make you rich. That's not always true. Matter of fact, let me prove that to you. If you'll go back to Psalm 34 and look at me, if you will, in verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of what? It's not that you're not going to have affliction. It's not that you're not going to have sickness. It's not that you're not going to have troubles and trials. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But then aren't you glad every time he says something like that, he couples it with promise. But I have overcome the world. So what do you mean to love life and see good days? It's a peace. It's a peace to know that God's favor is resting upon me in that God's going to provide, God's going to govern, God's going to guide. Listen, aren't you glad today that as a child of God, the Bible says that He will always meet our needs. Not our wants, our needs. And so, but when we're not a submissive spirit, cheat ourselves. It's not that not God's going to take care of us. He will. But not in the same measure that He would have. Let me prove it to you. How many of you agree Israel was God's people in the Old Testament? All right. He gets them out of Egypt. What's the command? You can go into the land I promised you of milk and honey. Just trust me. I've already given you the land. Isn't that what he told them? All right. What did they decide? Well, they had a Baptist business meeting. They sent two spies. They voted. Eight to two, they're not going to go. So what did God do? God said, fine. I'm going to walk you around the wilderness. I'm going to guide every day. I'm going to show you where you're going to go. A lot of people think that they just went and wandered in the wilderness. They didn't wander in the wilderness. God took them by place to place. Did God provide for them when they were in the wilderness? Manna by day. Cloud by day. Fire by night. The soles of their shoes didn't wear out. But did God provide for them what he wanted them to have? No. He didn't want them to have manna. He wanted them to have the corn of the land of Canaan. He wanted them to be in his provision that they could celebrate and they could worship him by keeping the Passover, which they couldn't do in the wilderness. So when the Bible says he'll never leave me nor forsake me, I'm here to tell you that is 100% true. Aren't you glad? He will never, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. But are you experiencing what he desires for you?
God don't want us to eat on manna. He wants to eat from the promised land. Because remember, the promised land is not heaven one day. The promised land is the life of Christ in you now. He wants us to feast upon that life. Let me finish. So you see the peace of submission. But notice the prophet of submission. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and the ears are open unto their prayers. There's two things he says here. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. What does that mean? Well, he sees me. No, no. It's much more than that. By the way, just, just for God to see you is a miracle of grace. Because God can only see you and me through the eyes or through the person of the Lord Jesus. Would y'all agree that God, a holy God, can't look up on sinfulness? Would y'all agree with that? So how many agree today? You and I have not arrived. We're not sinless perfect yet. So a holy God can't look upon you and me as we are. But aren't you glad today that we were imputed and imparted the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, and now God the Father can see us, but not us, but the Son who is our head, who is our life, who is our salvation, and now God identifies you with himself because he identifies his Son with himself, and you and the Son are one. So what does this mean then? When it says the eyes of the Lord are over them, it means the eyes of the Lord are always over them, protecting them, providing for them. Everything you eat in the Christian life, he's already given you in Christ. But when the time comes for you to appropriate that by faith, God's more than enough. When we use the term, his grace is sufficient, do we really believe that his grace is enough? Everything we go through, his grace is enough. And then it says he'll have his ears open to our prayers. You say, well, preacher, I didn't think there was never a time God didn't hear my prayers. Oh, there is. Psalm 16 18, if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. It's not that he cannot, he will not. There's seven times in the scriptures where it says, there's seven times in the scriptures where it says God will not hear your prayers. Seven times. But when I've got a submissive spirit, here's what it means. There's never a time that that prayer line's not 100% open. Lastly, the prophet. God will hear, God will look over you, but notice fourthly the contrast to a submissive spirit. Verse 12, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I want to read this from Psalm 34 where it's quoted. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and the ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil and cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. And here's the saying we use all the time. I can't fathom how somebody that doesn't have the Lord Jesus makes it through some of the crises of life. How many of you all agree with that statement? Right here's your proof text for that statement. So if the face of the Lord is upon the, the righteous, the ones that have a submissive spirit, he provides, he protects, then what's the contract? 
those without Jesus. Mm. They're just having to muddle through this word with no hope and no help. Trying to do the best they can. Live their own life. Scratch their religious backs every now and then. Hello. But aren't you glad today there comes a point where God shows them what they're missing? Based upon the characteristics of a submissive spirit, each of us sitting here and me standing here today, would you say with a true heart, I've got a submissive spirit? And you say, well, preacher, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I'm not there. I'm just not there. What can I tell you? I think if we are all truthful, we all have room to grow. Do y'all agree with that? Say amen. See, that's not the question. Here's the question. If God's showing you that, are you willing to settle from where you are? Are you willing to cry out for him to root out of you anything that's keeping you from submitting to the truth of God's word? You may be here today and you'll just be honest and say, Preacher, I, I've never ever experienced submission as that text, any text has laid it out. I've never submitted to the Lord. Oh, I believe He is, but I've never surrendered. I've never submitted to Him. Then if God's showing you, your need is to be gloriously saved. Because I promise you, if there has never been the evidence of surrender, there's never been the evidence of salvation. So if you're saved today and you say, I, I'm not there, but I, I'm, I don't want to stay where I am, then I want to encourage you. How about getting alone with God and just saying, Lord, this is where I am. You know where I am. You know my flesh just wants to tell people what I think. But Father, I need your grace to control my tongue. To control my witness. To control my ways. I need to submit. To you. Or if you're lost today. Father I'm hopeless and I'm helpless. But I need to submit to you. You come. Saved or lost. You obey God this morning. Don't let yourself be cheated anymore. Walk in the fullness of what God has for you. Why would you let yourself be cheated anymore when it's just simple as repentance and confession before you?